so yeah, we are going to talk about uh, courage this morning as uh, we look at uh, Paul's experience uh, uh, in life. Uh, courage, courage. Uh, it, it's not the absence of fear, that's for sure, because uh, courage, most people who express courage are afraid of what they are facing. So it's not the absence of fear, but it's, it, it's going through it. So we're going to look at something. Uh, some of you probably saw the movie Hacksaw Ridge. It's a true story. It's a true story of a man named Desmond Dawes. And at the end of the movie, they show the real Desmond Dawes and his family. But uh, here's what happened, and here's what the movie shows. Uh, he, Desmond Doss was a pacifist, but he, uh, and he, didn't, he, was, he, he determined he was not going to hold a gun, not going to carry a gun, and he took a beating for it, took several beatings and ridicule for it when he joined the army. And, and, but he said, I'm not gonna, I, I want to serve my country, but I am not going to carry a gun. And so he was part of this regiment, and, and they uh, uh, hazed him, they beat him because they felt like you chicken, you know, you, you, you're, you don't have courage. And then they went to battle in the South Pacific. And uh, the regiment was ordered to attack this ridge, Hacksaw Ridge. And at the first attack, they attacked it and they were repelled by, by the, uh, the enemy. And they lost lots of men and they retreated and they left lots of their wounded on this ridge. And, and Desmond Dawes was uh, going to retreat with everybody else, and, he re- and, and then he heard someone still alive. And so while, while all the soldiers had retreated, Desmond Dawes carried that one man down and brought him to safety. Then he went back up. He carried 70 wounded soldiers down after everybody else had retreated, after the enemy had taken the territory. So then the men were uh, recuperating, and probably they probably got some more uh, men to fill out the platoon or the regiment. And, uh, but they, from that point on, would not, uh, would, would not fight unless Desmond Dawes was there. Because uh, he was the one who stayed there after the enemy had taken the territory, and he brought down 70 men. It's a true story. Here is uh, just a clip of before they take the, the second attack. What the hell is your delay, Captain? We're waiting, sir. Waiting for what? Private Doss. Who the hell is Private Doss? Well, he is praying. They're waiting for, they're waiting for him to pray that the, the, the regiment will not attack. And, and even though the commander says, what are you guys waiting for? The men will not attack until, pres- until Desmond Dawes prays. And it, I think it's a good example of Christian courage. It's a good example of, uh, 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 of courage. And the Apostle Paul, it was a man that definitely had courage. And it wasn't that he wasn't afraid because he often says, you know, pray that I'll, I'll make it through. Pray, you know, pray that I'll be strong. Pray that, you know, I won't give up. He asked people for prayer. But the Apostle Paul definitely was a man who uh, had courage. When he writes this book of Philippians, he's in prison, as you know. He had earlier in his uh, pre-Christian life imprisoned people. He had separated families. He had separated children from parents. He had closed down Christian businesses. He even tells us that he consented 
to a man's death, and, and there probably were others. He took their possessions and confiscated their, their means of making a living. And uh, now he finds himself in prison. I, I, I think of some of our missionaries that I know and what they have gone through. Uh, I know Peter and Tammy Russell were missionaries re-support in Africa. They, had, they were way out in the bush. They had a, a little house. And they were close to the border. They were in Kenya, but close to the border of Tanzania. And bandits would come regularly. One time they had to hide in the attic. And bandits were in their house down below. And they had uh, all their children up there in the attic. And Doug and Robin Priest. I remember another couple in Tanzania that were given three days to get out of the country because Cuban uh, soldiers were, were, were uh, training near them. Bacala and Kellum Demissi who were uh, put in prison and separated for a long time because of their leadership in Christian organizations in Ethiopia. And you hear that, you hear that from missionaries. You know, some missionaries, uh, I don't hear that a whole lot from American pastors, I, I have to admit. Uh, not a, not a, you know, we, we have it pretty easy here in America. Uh, it's enshrined in our Constitution, you know, that uh, freedom of religion, Pastors get, uh, they don't have to pay income tax on any money they spend on their house. It's a housing allowance. You know, of course, they, they double taxes for Social Security. <laughs> but but so, so what they give with one hand, they take back with the other. But you know what? Uh, I, I don't know too many pastors in America uh, that are really uh, threatened. Their lives are threatened. I, I, I certainly, I tried to think. I was hoping that I could find one in my life. But I, <laughs> I can't think of any time I felt threatened, you know, uh, in life. And so uh, we're going to look at, at uh, some challenges to uh, living with courage because uh, definitely there are things that uh, sap our confidence as Christians and sap our, our courage as people. So we're going to look at some challenges. We're going to look at the resources the Apostle Paul used to uh, overcome his fears and to remain uh, a, a person of, of courage. America's greatest presidents have, uh, ha- have risen in times of war, but also the worst presidents. And so uh, challenges like that can bring out the best or they can bring out the worst. It just depends. But uh, we're going to look, first of all, at Philippians where, where, where Paul uh, tells us and, uh, about his situation. So we're going to look at verses uh, 12 to the end of chapter 1. And here is, here is Paul's message to us, and he talks about uh, his life and the challenges he faces to his courage and, and what he relied on. So here it is. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. As they as they looked at Paul and saw how he bore up, it gave them confidence. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? 
The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, as citizens of heaven, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together with one accord for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that, that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Well, there, there's a call for courage. He, he is calling on the Philippians to, to live by courage. And, and he's using his own life as an example of uh, how, how you do that. So let's think. Let's think of, of, uh, of what he is, is going through. First of all, uh, he, he has had an unanticipated outcome, something he didn't plan on, uh, being in prison. In verse 12, he says, what has happened to me? And what he means is that he has been put in prison. And assuming this is the, the imprisonment in Rome, he's never getting out. He is in prison for life. I mean, this is it. He's not getting out. And, and so it's not what he anticipated. He, he had wanted to go to Spain and, and, and evangelize uh, uh, Western Europe. But he is put in prison, and it's an unexpected outcome. Uh, one of my favorite T-shirts is, uh, uh, it, it seemed like a good idea at the time. I think everyone has seen that one. You know, have you seen that T-shirt? It seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, you ever had a few of those? Any, any of those experiences? I'll tell you a couple I, I had. When I was 17, I borrowed my dad's car and went on a date. It was a double date. And so me and this girl in the front seat and uh, another guy, my friend, and his, his uh, date was in the back seat. We're going to a football game. And so uh, I, we, I pick everyone up. I'm, I'm in my dad's car, and I, I come to, the, uh, to a signal, a red light. And I, I pulled about uh, five feet too far into the crosswalk. So, so being the, the good driver I used to be, uh, I, I put it in reverse and back up about five feet. And then the light turns green, and so I put my foot on the gas, 
back straight into the car behind me. <laughs> How to impress a girl. <laughs> then, and, uh, I was I, I, another date, another date uh, about a year later. Uh, and I'm driving a, a car, and I thought, oh, I, I want to impress the girl. It seemed like a good idea at the time, so I thought I, I'd let her uh, drive the car a little bit. You know, uh, it seemed like a, a good idea, you know. <laughs> so I let her drive, and after a while, I directed her, we'll turn into this gas station, and, and I'll start driving again. So she turns in the gas station, but forgets to put on the brake. And she, you know those big, giant poles that hold up the canopy? Well, she hit it, <laughs> and she bent it. And, and knocked it. It was the first accident I, I ever had, and I, I learned a good lesson. Uh, I, I, I guess it would be, uh, it would have been wise for me not to date <laughs> at that point. <laughs> but, it was, you know, I, I didn't anticipate those outcomes. I didn't anticipate. Those, those weren't all that bad. But Paul's in prison. That was not what he planned on. When he planned his career, he wanted to evangelize all his life. And travel to new territories. That's what he planned on. And now he's in prison. Never, he's, he's not getting out. He's not getting out. He, 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 he wanted to evangelize Spain, but, but he's in prison. Have you ever been knocked off your feet by some unanticipated outcome? Something in life happened to you that you didn't plan on? That just kind of uh, knocked, you, uh, knocked you off your, your balance? Here are some that I, I have uh, experienced in, in, in people in the church. And I'm sure, Paul, you have experienced these. It's one of the blessings of being a pastor. You get to share these. And, and, uh, but a young teenage daughter in our church came down with uh, Crohn's disease. It's an incurable disease. It's a sad disease, not only for her, but for her parents. She was just a, a young person, came down with Crohn's disease, and... Uh, her future happiness and plans were, were, you know, were changed, put in serious jeopardy. And then not long ago, about nine years ago, several families in our church had their, their equity in their house wiped out and, and, you know, by, the, by the recession, and they were underwater. Uh, or uh, a wife was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Or uh, several men lost their job at age 55 with not a whole lot of uh, good prospects. Or a husband had an affair and knocked, that just knocked the family and the wife you know, all, all off their feet. Unanticipated outcome. Or a child died. We've had some of those. And that just uh, shatters, shatters parents. Uh, I, I've heard that millennials... Uh, ages, you know, in, in about the 28 to 32 year old millennial have less than a thousand dollars saved up and they, you know, they have huge school loans and weak job market. It, it's not what they anticipated when they started college. But you know what? You have had some of those probably or you will. You will. You're going to have some of those experiences for Paul was put in prison. Wasn't his plan, but he's put in prison, changed his future. You're going to have some of those. You will have some of those. And it can challenge your confidence. It can challenge your trust in God. You know, it, it, it can challenge your courage to live, uh, your, your, your commitment to live by faith. Well, here's another one. Unfair circumstances or unjust. You know, things that happen to you that are just not fair. I mean, if you're put in prison for doing wrong, 
Uh, you know, that's fair. You know, if, you, if you've done something wrong and you're put in prison, that's, that's just. That, that's, that's fair. But when you're put in prison for doing good, it, it, it's unfair. And Paul was put in prison for preaching, you know, sh- helping people. He wasn't, it's funny, he wasn't put in prison when he was confiscating people's property. He wasn't put in prison when he was separating families because it was done under the color of law. But now that he's a Christian, he is put in jail for preaching, for helping people, for saving lives. And there's an unfairness aspect about that. Uh, I want to read a true story about a, a, a woman, Ruby Bridges. I don't know if you know her. Some of you have heard, may have heard her. But uh, I'll tell you about her. When I was in Boston, I heard her speak. When I heard her speak, she was a grown woman. She's a committed Christian. But uh, she was one of the first black children to uh, integrate American schools. This is a Roman, uh, I mean, a Norman Rockwell painting of, uh, of her starting her first day at school. And those are marshals, U.S. marshals that are coming here. Let me tell you her story. This is a slice of American history. In 1957, Ruby Bridges was four years old. Her family had just moved to New Orleans because her father's employer bought a machine to harvest crops that formerly had been hand-picked. Her dad took a job as a janitor. Though poor, they went to church every Sunday as a family. In 1960, so now she's about seven, a judge ordered four black first graders to attend white-only public schools. The integration of southern schools was going to take place by grade level. Three of the girls were sent to McDonald School, and Ruby was sent to France Elementary School. Ruby's parents were proud that their daughter had been chosen to take part in an important event in American history. They went to church the day before school started and prayed to God, and in her mother's words, her mother said, that we'd have courage and that we'd get through any trouble, and Ruby would be a good girl, and she'd hold her head up high and be a credit to all American people. We prayed long, and we prayed hard. Ruby herself didn't understand everything, but on her first day, there was a crowd of angry white people gathered outside Franz Elementary. They carried signs that said they didn't want black children in a white school. People called Ruby names. Some wanted to hurt her. The city and state police did not help Ruby. The president of the United States had ordered federal marshals with guns to make sure no trouble broke out. Every day for months, that's the way the school day began for Ruby. But that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was that all the white parents had pulled all their children out of the school. Parents refused to have their children in the same building as a little black six-year-old girl. Here's how Ruby Bridges described her first day. After she had gotten ready for school, her parents told her, Ruby, you're going to a new school and you better behave. Then there was a knock at the door. Four very tall white men were there in uniforms. These were the federal marshals. On the way, they told her, we have been sent by the president of the United States to escort you to school today. The first thing Ruby noticed was how much nicer and bigger this school was. In fact, Ruby thought she was in college. She went into the building and was told, your classroom is down the hall. When she got there, she was greeted by, hi, I'm Mrs. Henry. I'm your new teacher. 
The desks were all empty, so Ruby asked, am I too early? Even after she graduated from high school, Ruby said that Mrs. Henry was the nicest teacher she ever had. But that day, and for the whole school year, Ruby was the only child in the whole school. She didn't understand why. She sat in a classroom filled with desks, but she was alone except for her teacher, Mrs. Henry. So Ruby began to learn in an empty classroom in an empty school. Ruby kept asking, where are the children? She kept thinking, where are the children? She saw the federal marshals walking around and told Mrs. Henry, maybe they're looking for the kids. Down the big empty halls, she heard the noise. She heard noise in the cafeteria. Her lunch was always brought to her, so she never went inside the cafeteria. It dawned on her that the children were in the cafeteria, and that's what was making the noise. One day, Ruby snuck out of the classroom and ran down to the cafeteria, all excited to see the children. She pushed the swinging doors open, and she was met by an empty cafeteria. She spent the whole year searching for the kids. Neighbors threw bricks at Ruby's home. They burnt a cross on their front lawn. One day, a little white boy came in innocently and was very polite to Ruby, but he had to tell Ruby, I can't play with you because you're a nigger. He just explained. He wasn't hateful, and he didn't understand what the big deal was. He was just relaying what his mother had said. One day, the mob was especially unruly as Ruby made her way to her class. She stopped and turned to the crowd. The marshals tried to hurry her along. Even they were afraid of what might happen if she stopped and said something. But six-year-old Ruby stopped. She folded her hands and prayed, Please, God, try to forgive these people, because even if they say those bad things, they don't know what they're doing. So you forgive them, just like you did those folks a long time ago when they said terrible things about you. After the first year, it was all over. The second year, black and white pupils went to school together. The school integrated and was filled with kids, and Ruby made friends. Today, Ruby is still a committed Christian. Her ministry is talking about racism with no hate, no chip on her shoulder, no bitterness. Her goal is to try to help children, black and white, like themselves. In a testimony I heard in Boston, she said, this is a quote I wrote down, I asked God to show me what he wanted me to do in life, and I would do it. And at that point, things opened up in my life, and I've been led by God ever since. And then uh, in the same talk that I heard her in Boston, she closed with these words. When you forgive another person, you don't do it for their sake, but for yours. You set yourself free. And uh, there's a little girl's courage and a family's courage at, at a hard time. And she stands for courage in unfair situations. We, you know, we, we all catch. It's not fair for a little black girl being in school all by herself. But someone had to take the first step in the South. And so uh, Ruby, Ruby was that person. Ruby was that person. And uh, unfairness. You know, uh, my guess is there's someone in here, and maybe, maybe all of us can think of some circumstance where we've been treated unfair where we were singled out for something we didn't do or we didn't get credit for something we did do. And, and their unfairness, and, and, and we, you know, we, we feel like things are unfair. And that can sap your confidence and courage too. When you're treated unfair, you think, what's the use? What's the use of trying? What's the use of, of, uh, of following God if I'm going to be treated unfair? Well, it can sap your courage, your faith, your confidence. Paul experienced it. Here's another one. Maybe this is the worst one of all. I don't know. Personal betrayal. Personal betrayal. 
Look at verses 14 and 18, for, through 14 through 18. Look how Paul explains this. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. But it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Now, these people who were betraying Paul, Paul knew them. Paul loved them. Paul may have trained them. He may have mentored them. But when Paul was put in prison, they tried to take over because of the leadership vacuum that was created when Paul was put in prison. They badmouthed Paul. They gossiped about Paul. They took over his work. They betrayed him, personal betrayal. They took over some of the people that Paul had led to Christ. And they told those people, you know, don't, don't listen to Paul anymore. We're the leaders, not Paul. You know, Paul's not that good. Look, he's in prison. He's in prison, you know. Uh, and they planted gossip about Paul. They betrayed Paul. That's demoralizing. It's demoralizing. If, if you go through a divorce, you feel betrayed. If your partner commits adultery, you will feel betrayed. If, if someone gossips, if someone says untrue things about you, you know, I, it, it, it's hard to defend yourself. If someone accuses you of something, it's hard to defend yourself and you feel betrayed. You feel, why are they saying these things? Especially if they were a friend. Especially if they were someone you trusted and loved. If you have an alcoholic spouse and, and, and all that trauma comes into your home, you can feel betrayed. If you're fired from a job, you might feel betrayed. If you are overlooked for promotion, you might feel betrayed. If you have suffered sexual or, or physical abuse, you, you can feel betrayed. If your child dry, dies, you, you will feel betrayed. Maybe even be, you may feel betrayed by God. How can this happen? How can this happen? I've been a Christian. How can this happen to me? How can this happen to our family? And you can feel betrayed. Maybe, maybe someday uh, you or someone you know will have an incurable illness. And, and life's over. Life will be over. And you may feel betrayed. Well, that's Paul. Paul uh, had, a, had a negative, unanticipated outcome. He wanted to preach the gospel all over Western Europe. He's put in prison for life. And, and, and he was put in prison for being good. That's not fair. And he, he suffered personal betrayal. But here's the thing. All of those things can sap your courage. All of those kind of challenges and, and other challenges can take away your confidence in God. They can destroy your faith. But it didn't happen for Paul. You know, he was in prison, and yet he said, I, I, I will rejoice because Christ is preached. And, and it, didn't, it didn't demoralize him. He didn't give up. How, how did he do it? Well, we're going to look at five resources that uh, Paul used. They're the same ones every Christian can rely on. They're, they're things, they're resources God gives us for our help when we are uh, afraid, when, when, we are, when we know we should do something, 
but, but we're afraid to do it when, when our confidence in God or our confidence in our own self is, is at a very low point. Here are some resources. First of all, Paul talks about the prayers of other Christians. He says in verse 19, I know that through your prayers, and he says, I, I, you know, I'm glad you guys are praying for me because I, I know it's going to result in my deliverance. Now, actually, it didn't result in his deliverance, but he, but he, he knows that those prayers are going to do good and, and those prayers are, are, are going to help him and he's glad that other people are praying for him. The book of James says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, if you are a Christian, God hears your prayers. If you are a Christian, God can use your prayers to help other people when they go through hard times. When, when Paul asked people in, in, in this particular case, he thought it would result in his release from prison. That's what he thought. And I'm sure they were praying, you know, God, help Paul uh, be released from prison. That, that's probably what they were praying for. That's not what happened. That's not how God answered their prayers. Actually, God answered their prayers in a bigger way, in a better way, because here's what happened. Paul was a Roman citizen. And because he was a Roman citizen, he had the, the right to appeal to Caesar. And that's what he did. And because he appealed to Caesar... While he was a prisoner for the next several years, he got to speak to kings and magistrates and soldiers and all kinds of people he never would have got to speak to. He got to speak to, to major leaders of, of uh, provinces and countries while he was in prison. He never would have got to speak to those people. But he was able to witness to very powerful people. And so God did not answer Paul's prayers or, or the, the people's prayers in the same way they asked, but God answered them in a bigger way, in, in, in a way that was uh, much more useful for the Apostle Paul's ultimate life ministry. So I, I, I want to uh, challenge you, when you're afraid, tell someone else. Ask someone else to pray for you. Ask other Christians to pray for you. And, and you know what? It will help you. It will strengthen you. I, I, I'm kind of a private person. And so sometimes I, I don't do that sometimes to my loss. But it, it's good to ask other people to pray for you, to pray for your children, to, because God hears their prayers and God will answer. And he may not answer in exactly the same way you ask, but he will always answer in, in that way or better. God will always, always answer your, their prayers. So ask other people to pray for you when you go through hard times. It'll give you strength. It'll give you courage. It'll give you confidence. Here's the second thing Paul did. He relied on the Holy Spirit. He relied on the help of the Holy Spirit. In verse 19, Paul says, he says earlier, because of your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And we sang about that. We sang about that. And the Holy Spirit will help us, will strengthen us, will give us inner, inner strength. One of my favorite passages is Ephesians 3, 20 through 21, where he says, you know, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. What that passage is saying is that God's Holy Spirit indwelling the Christian can, can do more in us than we can imagine. 
more than we can think, you know, more than we can, can uh, vision, God's Holy Spirit can do in us. And the Holy Spirit can strengthen us when we're weak. We sing about that. The Holy Spirit will communicate the nearness of God to us when we're alone. The Holy Spirit, uh, Paul tells us, can connect our prayers to God when, when we have the experience, we want to pray about something important, but we, don't, we aren't very articulate. We don't know how to put it in words. The Bible says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and, and makes our prayers effective. He, he, he communicates to God. The Holy Spirit creates in us a sense that we are children of God. You know, that we know God, that we are his child. You know, that, that's the Holy Spirit. Uh, Calvinists would call that the testimony of the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit, that uh, the, the Holy Spirit inside us conveys to us, I belong to God. I'm his child. I'm his child. And we know that. You know, we know that and strengthens us, gives us courage. The Holy Spirit comforts us in our sorrow, gives us peace and difficulty. The Holy Spirit lowers our stress. As we rely on the Holy Spirit, we don't worry so much. And the Holy Spirit guides us to better paths. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us. So, man, you know, Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. Don't hesitate to say, okay, I, I, I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. With God's help, I can do it. I can do it. You know, God will help me through. I know uh, Michelle in our small group yesterday uh, was telling us how she would go to, with, a, with uh, another guy, I forget his name, Franz. What? Kwong. Huh? Tuan, is he here? Hey, well, you, you, you would go to the block, or the, not the block, uh, yeah, the block. And, and these are attractive people. These are not, you know, weird people. <laughs> well, Tuan, I'm maybe weird. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, these are attractive, obviously intelligent, you know, people, and they would just talk to people, generate conversations. About Christ. That took some courage. I'm sure like when you would go up to a person, you're thinking, oh, no, what's he going to think of me? But I, I, I but the Holy Spirit, you know, I'm sure gives you strength and makes that uh, you plant a seed. You plant a seed and and uh, gives you courage to do that. Uh, you, you, I, I don't think you're people on your own that would just go say, hey, uh, you know, I, uh, are you a Christian or do you know? But because of God's Holy Spirit, you can do it in a gracious way and engage in those kind of conversations. And, it, and in all of us, you know, the Holy Spirit can, can strengthen us. That's what helped Paul, and that's what that helps us. When we are called by God to do something that we know we're not capable of doing, go do it anyway. And ask God for strength. He will strengthen you through His Holy Spirit. Okay, here's something else. Love for Christ. When you love someone... You, you will act in courage, with, with courage for, uh, for them. In verses 20 and 21, Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. See, he, he knows. He knows, I, I, I hope I have the courage. I don't want to bring shame to God or to myself. I hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is, is gain. He loves Christ. He loves Jesus. He knows that Jesus died for him. 
He knows that uh, Jesus uh, loved him. He knows that Jesus forgave him his sins. And then I, I think one of the best things Paul knew, Jesus called me. Jesus, in spite of what I was before I was a Christian, Jesus called me to serve him. And he was just overwhelmed with thankfulness. God, thank you for using me. You know, I was the least. I was the worst of all sinners. The least of ones you'd call. But, but God, you, you felt you could use me. And, and I, he, he, loved, uh, he loved Christ. And he would, he, because of that love, he would die for Christ. You would die for people you love. Uh, I, I, I would die for Deidre. If someone was threatening her life, I would, I would risk my life to save her. I, I, I have two daughters. I, I, would, I would die for them most days. <laughs> Maybe not all days, but <laughs> well, no, I, 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 I would, you know, and you would too. You would too. For someone you really love, you'll risk your life, you know, and, and so uh, Paul, the more you love, the more you know Jesus, the more you're going to love him. And the Bible says, love casts out fear. And the more you get to know Jesus, you, you're, you're going to love him. You're going to love him. And just out of that love, knowing what he did for you, that he, he wants to use you, 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 you you're going to get courage. You're going to get the uh, benefit of, uh, of, of confidence out of that love. Well, here's another one, the assurance of eternal life. That's a big one, the assurance of eternal life. In verses 21 through 23, uh, you know, we just read, for me to live, for me, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he talks about heaven being better by far. He says, I, I, I don't know which one I'd choose if I had a choice, whether to stay here and, and help you all or go to God and be with, uh, with Christ in heaven. Man, it'd be a lot better to be in heaven, you know, better by far, but I think it's necessary for me to be here with you. So he was assured either way uh, uh, of eternal life. He knew that his life was secure in Christ, whether he lived or died. Someday, someday for, for you as a Christian, you're going to be in heaven. And it, it, it's going to be more physical than this life. It's not going to be ethereal and wispy. It's going to be concrete. You know, it's going to be better than this life. It's gonna, you're going to be, you're going to recognize people. They're going to recognize you. It's going to be more real than this life. It's going to be better by far than this life. And the things that, that sap the happiness of this life are not going to be there. You know, sickness and injuries and hatred and, and animosity and, and racism, not going to be there. It's going to be concrete, 3D reality. It's going to be there. And, and, and all those things that sabotage a good life here, not going to be there. Now, I have to confess Sometimes uh, I, I have a doubt. I have a doubt about heaven. I have a doubt about the resurrection. I've never seen one. I, I've never seen a resurrection. You know, I, I, I believe it, and I, I want to I believe it's true, and I do believe it's true, but sometimes I, I have to admit, I do get a lingering doubt. How can it be? How can it be? You know, uh, how, how can it be? So here, here, here's... What I've learned, I have learned to doubt my doubts. You know, learn to doubt your doubts. You know, not everything you think is, is true. I take my doubts seriously. 
I'm not afraid of, of questions that my doubts raise because they keep me honest. They make me go deeper, maybe do some research, maybe talk to others. But I have also learned to doubt my doubts. Why should we give our doubts more credence than we give our faith? It's okay to have doubts, but learn to doubt your doubts too. Intelligent people doubted that human beings would ever fly. But in 1903, Wilbur Orville Wright flew. And today, you know, we have aircraft weighing hundreds of tons flying over us. No big deal. No big deal. Last month, Deidre and I uh, flew to New York. We were going to go on United Airlines, but we, we weren't sure which, which flight to take, whether to take the red eye or the black eye. And, and so, <laughs> just, just kidding. <laughs> but, but, you know, people didn't think planes could fly or didn't think we could ever fly. And now huge planes are up there in the air. The world's uh, automobile industry right now is racing to uh, produce driverless cars for everybody, you know, for everybody. I, I had a friend who had a driverless, uh, he worked for Tesla, and, and, and he, he drove a driverless car from San Francisco to the Silicon Valley every day. But, but uh, all, the, all the automobile manufacturers are, are, are uh, racing to, uh, to give us, to give the average person cars that they don't have to drive, that are, that are driven. You, you, point, you, you punch in where you're going to go, and it just takes you there. Now, I have my doubts. I have my doubts that will ever happen. But I would bet on it. I would bet on it. I, you know, I, I, I have some doubt. Is that really going to happen? I, but I, I, I bet it does. I bet it does happen in the next 20 years. You know, lots of things we doubt happen, right? So learn to doubt your doubts and do not give your doubts more validity than you give your faith so and then i think about god Here, here's something else that gives me uh, confidence in, in eternal life even though i i can't see it never been there no one's ever come back uh i i i i, I might have a doubt but i doubt my doubts but not only that uh i i know there's a god i know there is a god we're not accidents and uh I think of that verse in the New Testament in the book of Acts. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? You know, if there is a God, if there is a God, then why, why would we think it's incredible that a God can raise the dead? If there is a God, and there is, then God has the power to do whatever he wants to do, right? And, and the Bible tells us that there's plenty of evidence for, for the existence of God. And in Psalm 19, it talks about the heavens declare the glory of God. And, and, and all creation, living up here, you know, it, it's easy to, to see the, the beautiful creation of God. But wherever we are, you know, God created it. The book of Romans talks about uh, human beings are held accountable for recognizing that there is a God and, the, and that he's powerful. You know, just by creation, you look at creation, every human being, it's naive to look at creation and not, not come to the conclusion there is a God. And so if there is a God, then why should we think it's incredible that he can raise the dead? Why should we think it's incredible? If he's God, you have to let him be God. He can do whatever he wants to do. 
Well, the assurance of eternal life has enabled Christians to suffer, torture, bear burdens, impossible to bear without that confidence, to face hunger, hardship, even face death, because they knew beyond a doubt that if they died, they would be with the Lord in heaven, that God would, would, would uh, take them to heaven, and, and they would live forever with him. And they had that confidence, and that, that confidence in, in the assurance of heaven forever gave them the, the courage to walk through some of the most terrible things life can ever give a person. Well, one more resource. These are all things that Paul said in this passage. These are things that help me. Uh, and the, 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 the fifth one I want to say is duty for the family of God. Duty. Duty is a good word. In verses 24 and 25, he says, it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. He says, you know, if it was up to me, I'd, I'd rather go to heaven. But I think it's more necessary for you that I remain here to help you. And he's talking about a sense of duty, a sense of I have taken on a responsibility and I want to fulfill that responsibility. You know, I, I, I have a sense of duty to serve you. Duty is about maturity. Duty is about growing up. It's about accepting responsibility for other people. It's about delivering your best because you have taken responsibility to do something worthwhile and good for other people. Because you have committed yourself to do something and, and you persevere. You know, that you will do your duty. Putting someone else or something bigger than you ahead of yourself by choice. That's, that's what duty is. It's, it's a bedrock of living by courage. A sense that I have committed myself to this and I'm going to fulfill that commitment. I'm going to fulfill my responsibility for these people. I've taken a job and I'm going to fulfill my, uh, my job. Soldiers know what duty is. Police know what duty is. Pastors know what duty is. Parents know what duty is. You don't always feel like being a parent. <laughs> is that true? It's true, huh? But you don't quit. You don't quit. Because you know this is my child. I'm the mom. I'm the dad. And I fulfill my, my task. And right now, you know, I'd like to give the child away. <laughs> but I don't. And I love this child because I'm his or her parent. Well, God expects us to be a people who take our responsibilities seriously to do our duty. And that helps give us courage. And that's where the victory is. Paul closes this, this chapter with, with these words. Make these your words. Stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And you can do that because of Jesus Christ in you. That's the victory. That's the victory of life. That's the victory of life in Christ. You can do that. That God will help you face any trial, any challenge, but with the resources he gives. You can be afraid. That's okay. But rely on, on the strength and resources God gives, and you will come through victorious. Let's pray. 
Father, we, we are thankful that as Christians, we know you. And you get to uh, communicate to us through your Holy Spirit direction and help. And, and, and we, can, we love you and want to serve you. I, I want to pray for these uh, wonderful people here at Crossway. And I want to pray for uh, uh, Paul, Kim, and, and Kate. And we ask your blessing on them because they are doing a good work. And there, is a, there are great things happening right here. And so we want to pray that you just uh, multiply uh, these people. We, we pray. It's a pleasure to, uh, to serve along with other Christians like this. And they have developed something. So, Father, bless them. And I pray you give them courage to do whatever it is you call this church to do. And each individual as well. In Jesus' name, amen.